Welcome back to the Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters. Any minute, our guests will be joining us. He is Alan Kurtz, a veritable legend in our industry. We've known each other for a long time. We haven't worked together in a while, but he started out as the director of catering at the Sheridan Meadowlands, spent three years at Water's Edge, and 13 years at Tavern on the Green. So we've worked together many times. Since then, he's gone on to do some amazing things. He'll give you all the details, but he's in charge of two truly iconic spaces in New York, the Gotham Hall and the Ziegfeld Ballroom. Fun fact is that Gotham Hall was built in 1924 as the Greenwich Savings Bank. And here he is. Here's my conversation with Alan Kurtz. Enjoy. I've had the fortunate experience to meet many presidents through the years. No kidding. Yeah, going back to Ronald Reagan and Nancy, Clinton, Obama a few times, George Bush 41. And George Bush 41 was literally a slap on the back guy. Literally. Hey, nice to see you. Boom. You remember the honeymooners? You remember the honeymooners when Ralph sure. put his back and Uncle Leo slapped him on the back and he howled like a like <laughs> a whale? You know, like Uncle Leo from Utica. And he's like, hey, good to see you, Ralph. Like, literally, yeah. that's literally what he did. Hey, nice to meet you. Boom. Slap on the back and a robust slap on the back. You wouldn't think of that for a guy who was the head of the CIA. Yeah, yeah exactly. Clinton was another guy like that. I met Clinton because my office was in Chappaqua and long conversations with a guy. Superstar. It's like meeting Clooney. Clinton walked in the room. You knew he walked in the room. You could hear a pin drop. I remember doing an event where they said, well, he'll speak from the balcony. And I'm like, man, it's hard to keep everybody's attention when you're speaking from the balcony like a Vita Peron, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one spoke. I mean, it was like he had total the command of the audience and that great, and I mean that great skill. When he talked to you, nothing else existed. No one else existed. It's unbelievable. It's such a skill. You talk to President Obama and you're like, wow, but you could see that he's sort of looking around to see who the next person is. Yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's like, all right, how many more photos do I have to take? And President Clinton was not that man. He, he just like, you know. There's a place in Chappaqua called Lang's Deli. And it's a local deli, but it's a really good one. The guy who owns it knew that I was a big fan. And he calls me, he says, Doug, get your ass over here now. I said, I'm wearing like red balloon pants, you know. <laughs> you were practicing your MC Hammer look. <laughs> exactly. I said, excuse me, Mr. President, can I ask you a question? He says, sure. And I said, okay, there's a famous picture of you when you were 16, shaking hands with John Kennedy. And now you sit in the same desk. What does that feel like? And he said, how many times do you think I've been interviewed? I said, a million. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so he says, at least. No one's ever asked me that question. Just locked eyes with me like I was his best friend, like we were sitting around having a couple of beers. That's cool. George Bush was a Republican, not what's going yeah. on today. That's not Republican. Right. It's something else. I don't know what it is, yeah. but it's something else. Exactly. You know, I'm not this, much to my mother's chagrin, may she rest in peace. I am not this liberal person that, um, that, that <laughs> you know, I didn't hate all of Trump's policies. I disliked him as a human being. That was my problem with right. him. I, I had real troubles with him 
the bullying, just mistreating everybody all the time about anything. Oh, and yeah. I don't understand how these people who support him, he turns on them like a pit bull. And I don't mean to disparage pit bulls. They're wonderful dogs. The, you know, he turns on them so fast. Look what happened in Georgia. There's a governor that supported him through everything. The lieutenant governor. The lieutenant governor, he turned on them so fast. And it's of Georgia. And we're talking about Georgia. This is like deep south. Exactly. Yeah. I don't get I don't get that. I don't get how you support that person and that personality, regardless of some of the positive things he did. Now, I wasn't for building a wall. I mean, I'm in the hospitality business. Right. The hospitality business does not run without the hardest working people in America. And a lot of them come from Mexico. And I'll say, you know, I don't, you, you know, yeah. I, I, that doesn't, wow. you know, the You're the first person to bring that up. And I think that's absolutely true. Doesn't run without, without really hardworking men and women from that country whose work ethic put a white Jewish kid from Long Island in the fields <laughs> picking grapes, they will quit after one hour and say, I can't do this. Right. It's backbreaking work. I can't do it. Too hot. Too hot, too difficult, <laughs> too this, too that. You don't need fresh vegetables in this country without that right. worker. It doesn't exist. Even with technology, there are certain things that need to be hand done. Again, I, I, I think that was just barking up the wrong tree. Appealing to your so-called base for some reason. Yeah, and if that's the definition of your base, you said a Mexican judge can't rule on a case because he's Mexican. The guy was like two generations American. I remember, I forget that. That's so small by comparison of what else happened. And calling African countries like <laughs> shithole countries? Yeah, yeah. But I actually I, did pick corn in a field one day many years ago as a kid. And I'm like, it's brutal. To huh? Try to earn some extra money just like because I always did paper routes, working in a restaurant as a dishwasher, mm -hmm. picking up extra whatever money. I did it one day, turned to my mother and said, never again. One of the pictures that Biden put up in the Oval is Cesar Chavez. Yeah. That's why I'm glad that you mentioned the, the migrant workers. Between the migrant workers being harassed by ICE and the wildfires in Southern California, no wonder you can't get good produce. They'll fly it in from Chile or something like that, but it's not coming from Southern California. You're absolutely right. Did you get Bill Clinton's cell phone number to talk about ideas? Damn, I wish I had it, though. You can ask Brian Raffinelli for it. I'm sure he has it. Yeah. Oh, I know he has it. <laughs> you know who he's good friends with? He's good friends with Mayor Pete. Is he? Yeah. I like Mayor Pete a lot. I do, too. I think he's going to be the head of transportation. I don't know what he knows yes. about transportation, but... He's sort of the smartest guy in the room. He can learn it pretty fast. <laughs> you know, I'm sure he had some uphill battle being a gay man from that part of the world, that part of the state, that part of the country and getting elected. And I really, I really like the guy a lot. I, I got a future. I mean, he's so young. I'll say it out loud. For the most part, I have mostly women in both offices because they're typically smarter than the guys. So. I've said that my whole life. <laughs> I was just, you know, raised by women. I just, most of my friends are women. I just. I Look, I grew up with two sisters, you know, so mom, two sisters, and a very strong feminist household. Very strong. I grew up in the 60s. My parents, they were in their 30s in the 60s, right? So think about that. My parents took me in a stroller to Washington, D.C. to a Martin Luther King march. So. Wow, no kidding. Yeah, so I, I was, uh, you know. Oh, so they're around like when Woodstock and all these. Yeah, like, exactly, exactly. 
Actually, five years ago, this past Wednesday, I invited 400 people. I took over the Ziegfeld Movie Theater, the last day or the next to last day that it existed as a movie theater before we started renovations. And then we had to start taking things out and renovating it to make it the Ziegfeld Ballroom. But I literally had a movie night five years ago. I think it was Star Wars. It didn't matter. We had popcorn, the flapper girls, the 1920s era thing, Ziegfeld Theater. And five years ago, it feels like an eternity. You know, again, I don't understand some of these rules that Governor Cuomo has, has come up with has not made any sense at all to me. If you're allowed a gathering of 50 people, you could be 50 people in a studio loft that holds 200. 25% legal capacity is 200, has nothing to do with the amount of square footage it is. The same 50 people are allowed in Jacob Javits Center is 1.2 million square feet. It's the same 50 people. It makes no sense to me at all. The same amount of people are allowed in the armory. I don't, you know, the same amount of people are allowed in Gotham Hall and Ziegfeld Ballroom. So I have like 30,000 square feet of total space at Gotham Hall and 20,000 square feet of space at Ziegfeld Ballroom. The Ziegfeld Ballroom, because of the shape, is actually larger than the Gotham Hall Ballroom because Gotham Hall Ballroom was oval and was the bank and has the original teller walls. In there's, you know, that's the one that was the Greenwich Savings exa- Bank. Exactly, Greenwich Savings Bank. Actually, we're coming up on our hundredth year. Oh, that's right. It was, it was built in 1924. Yeah, exactly. It opened in 24. Started building in 22. I'm going to have to uh, do something in May of 24 to celebrate its hundredth anniversary of being a building, which is sort of cool in New York City. In Paris, it's like a new building. The numbers don't make sense to me. It should be based on square footage and ceiling height. There's a whole MIT study done. Ceiling height. Oh, wow. Very good point. Right. It's cubic feet. I have 70 foot ceilings. The stained glass dome up top, and there's a lot of cubic feet there. And when you have cubic feet and you have air circulation and you have proper ventilation, which we do, we have MERV 13 air filtration systems. Wait, what's it called? MERC? MERV 13. It's the thickness of the air filters on the airflow to be able to capture particles as they're being recirculated. And when your MERV 13 is hospital quality air. Oh, wow. If you do that calculation and you look at the MIT study, I can put 600 people in Gotham Hall for 12 hours and have no issues at all based on the cubic feet that I have. So 150 people could be in Gotham Hall for four days with no issues. Is that with masks and social distancing of six? No, that's no, that's like an unmasked situation. There was a better way of doing this than shutting our entire industry down. Well, that's what I want you to talk about. Now about consumer confidence, that's all that this is. We're in the confidence game. Nothing more, nothing less. This is consumer confidence. Look, I'm working with a committee now. There's a gentleman from from Colorado that's spearheading it. Wait a minute, let, let me set you up for one second. Sure, of course. I started this podcast two and a half years ago because this is like a multi-billion dollar industry and nobody treats it like an industry. It's actually more than multi-billion. It's actually a trillion dollar industry. Yeah, that's what I wanted to set you up. So <laughs> I, I did it from a very naive standpoint. I want to know what everybody does. I see an event from the bandstand and that's it. I look into the room and if it's a packed dance floor, I'm thrilled. The bride kisses me goodbye and, and that's it. I didn't know the first thing about lighting. I didn't know what a tablescape was. I didn't know what a charger was. So I'm like the voice of the average human asking questions. That's why when you said we have 70 foot ceilings, all right, what does that mean 
to the average person. You know, and you talk about bailout of the auto industry, bailout of this industry, but nobody thinks about us as an industry because we're made up of so many different parts. When COVID hit, I forgot what the number was, like 40 million hospitality workers, they called everybody, on unemployment, including me. I called Bill Spinner and I said, am I a hospitality worker? He says, yeah, you are. Every photographer that works in a venue is, and every florist that works in a venue is, and every lighting person, and every every single vendor that goes into back of the house and the front of the house. And I said, when, when is this all going to get back? And this was like last March or April. And he said, if you're having 200 guests, you bring a 10-piece band, the photographer brings five guys, the florist maybe has 20 guys. My back of the house and front of the house, it's at least double the number of guests. And when I was talking to you, you said it might even be one and a half. That 200 people might be 500 people. So that's what we're dealing with here. Sure. I'm literally coming at it from a very naive standpoint. You know, I, when I called it an industry, I thought I was being very clever by saying there's a lot of money invested in this. You're not any different than our elected officials that have no clue in what we do. Right, exactly. So you are one of the people that is on the forefront, and this has nothing to do with liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat. It has nothing to do with, with politics. This is the fact that our industry is crippled. I had a client call me and I started laughing. She says, why are you, why are you laughing? And I said, I, cause, I said, because you're calling me at six o'clock on a Saturday night. And I'm home. <laughs> and, and I'm home. And I'm delighted to talk to you. So your exact title, if I was to introduce you, is? Managing Director of Gotham Hall and Ziegfeld Ballroom. Gotham Hall is 1356 Broadway, which is the corner of 36th Street, two blocks north of Macy's. And Ziegfeld Ballroom is on 54th Street between 6th and 7th. Which are both landmark, spectacular buildings. And I've never played in either one of them. We'll have to change that. (laughs) Exactly. Um, We have no protection from anybody and we have no representation. Right. So you have taken it upon yourself to... Correct. And I, I mean this most flattering That's way. That's all right. That's okay. So what we did is as follows. We formed the Banquet Event Strategic Task Force. And that was myself, Mike Warren, who's the Director of Catering at the Plaza, Arthur Bacall from Bacall Hospitality, Bill Spinner from the Pierre was involved. So then I called James Munz, who was at the Mandarin Oriental for nine years. And then we're like started gathering more. And the reason we did this was because the government had no idea what they were doing. They didn't understand our industry. All you heard talking about was restaurant, 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 a la carte, restaurant. That's all they talked about. Everybody forgot about our industry. Right. About our $1.3 trillion event industry across the country. Everybody forgot about our... 12 million people are employed by the event industry. And if you want to compare the auto industry and bailouts, the U.S. bailed out the auto industry. The auto industry has 8 million employees worldwide. There are 12 million people in the event industry just in the United States. And they don't know we exist. They don't understand our business. When we were having conversations, and this is months and months into it, and we have senators on calls and congresspersons on call. I remember reading about it. Didn't you have like one of Romney's? We did have Senator Romney's chief of staff on a call, and that's thanks to Marianne Bennett, you know, fellow music company. Yeah. And, yeah. and she was very instrumental. And now uh, Dewan Stroud, who's a floral designer. Who's also been on the podcast. Dewan 
knows more about the political and financial aspects of what's going on now than most human beings alive. I mean, he has delved into this so heavy. He actually worked in Wall Street. It shows now because he's so smart on these topics. Oh, yeah. And what's interesting to me is when we're having these conversations with senators and congresspeople, they go, well, the Restaurant Act, which didn't get passed, the Restaurant Act, it didn't include what we call creative partners. You're a creative partner. Music, photography, flowers, lighting. The senator literally said to me, he said, well, the venues will take care of them. And I'm like, excuse me? Like, he doesn't understand. He thinks that if Gotham Hall got money, I'm going to give money to the lighting company and the sound company and the music company and the linen company, the rental chair company. They don't know what we do. They don't understand. Now, maybe their chief of staff understands because they're responsible for doing their fundraiser. That's right. Right. Okay. But they're not any different than anybody else. They walk in a room and you're a guest at a wedding. And you go, wow, this looks beautiful. Wow, this is great. No one knows what it took to get done. There's lighting, there's sound, there's decor. You had a custom dance floor made and there's been 10 craftsmen in a shop working for a week somewhere on this. And they have no idea. And my mom, the liberal mom, I tried to explain her to her once. She's like, you mean you had a bar mitzvah and they spent a million dollars? That's obscene. (laughs) And I'd go, mom, they employed 500 people for the last month. And it click. I said, they're craftsmen doing background stage work, photographer teams, musicians, catering, waiters, bartenders, linen company. How many people got a new dress for this occasion and new shoes? How many people got their hair and nails done? How many packages were delivered? How many UPS people were employed doing this? I mean, you just ripple through this. This industry is gigantic and no one talks about it because we don't exist, but we do exist. That's why I'm so thrilled to have you on. I can't believe you haven't been on before. You are literally the reason I'm having this podcast and I didn't know it three years ago. Thank you. Thank you for doing it because I don't do a podcast because that's not what I do. You know, I just did it because it seemed like a fun idea. If fun becomes work too, but you know, if you love what you do, it's not work anymore. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. All right, so go back to Best. Yeah, the whole reason we did Best was because, again, they didn't know our industry. They don't know what a meeting is versus a cocktail party, conference style versus theater style, press conference versus a gala dinner, a bar mitzvah versus a wedding. They don't know all of these different components. And what we did was we created, and we still have, it's a living document, step-by-step procedures. Someone arrives by car. Start from there. So the valet parking. What are the valet parking procedures? How do you sanitize the car when they get out? How do you open up the door for them? Everybody wearing masks, great, terrific. Now they're coming into the building. How do you check their coat? When they go to the bathroom, how do you prevent people from all crowding into a bathroom? Do you have to wear a mask in a bathroom? Of course you do. We went step by step by step as if we were a guest, car, entryway, greeting, coat check, restroom, going to a cocktail party, attending a dinner, going to a luncheon, going to a meeting, going to a conference setup, or going to a different breakout room. All of those step-by-steps, and we put this in a book that we presented to Governor Cuomo. I don't know if he used it for scrap paper or not. 
And then we said, this isn't complete. We need our creative partners. And all of a sudden, we're speaking to Dewan about floral decor because everything that I do is completely screwed if a sick musician walks in the door, right? Yeah. Everything I did was for naught. So we went music, photography, flowers, valet parking company, tent company, rental company. We put everybody together. Now, all of a sudden, our Zoom calls went from nine to 90. And we then created subcommittees. So now you have Frost Lighting talking with Bentley Meeker Lighting. And they're working together for the first time in their lives, collaborating and sharing ideas. You know, somebody said, what's the best thing that's happened out of all of the crap we've been through? to be exactly a year and then some. And I said, my acquaintances have become more than that. They've become friends. They're people I can call up to ask a question or ask advice or to give advice to. We've gone beyond that acquaintance level. We have people collaborating together because, you know, that old adage, you know, rising tides raises all boats. True. Never been more true than our industry. We were in this together, and I have just as much on the line as the plaza does and the Pierre and the Rainbow Room. Cipriani, we were all talking together. To all direct competitors. We are all direct competitors. We need each other to survive because if we don't all survive, maybe none of us survive. So we all needed each other. And it worked out very well. It's a living document. We have air filtration systems in there. Now we're going into vaccines necessity. I think that's the next step. That's where this governor is going. Right now, you need to have a COVID test before you attend an event. The mechanisms aren't in place. There's going to be a couple different apps that are going to come out that people are going to have to register on that you have to get a COVID test within 72 or 48 hours before attending attending an event. That will include staff. I think waiters and servers and bartenders will be wearing masks for a very long time. We'd love to get to a point where guests aren't wearing masks. Maybe they have to wear a mask to dance, but you don't have to wear a mask when you're seated. Everybody needs a COVID compliance officer. I mean, that's what you need. I remember speaking to a father of a groom that said, whether or not you can hold my daughter's wedding, it was December of this past year, whether or not you can host my daughter's wedding or not legally, Mm -hmm. he said, that's not my concern. Mm -hmm. He said is, it's the spirit of what I intended the wedding to be for my daughter. I want people to be able to hug and kiss on the dance floor. He said, that's the spirit of what a wedding is. He said, this isn't about money for me. I I think guest counts are going to be a little tricky for some places. That's up to every individual location of how they handle it. I am not going to dictate to anybody how everybody should handle it. I can just tell you at Gotham Hall and Zigfeld Ballroom, every person, every event is dealt with individually. We've Mm -hmm. become the Bill Clinton (laughs) of dealing with events. When we're talking to you about your event, nothing else exists other than your event. Yeah, That's it. It's about you. It's about your families coming in from Chicago, Montana, and California. That's different Mm -hmm. than somebody that everybody lives in New York and New Jersey. You have to deal with it differently. You have to. I know. Because if you don't, one, you're not part of the community that welcomes guests. You just have to look at it differently. You can't say, well, that's your problem. No, it's our problem too. 
Right. You know, right. You yeah. have to take that into account and have everybody comfortable. You know, why? Because that's why. <laughs> yeah, because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the right thing to do. Exactly. Every event coming up is going to have a hybrid component to it, at least maybe for a generation. And I don't say that lightly. Explain that. I'm 79 years old. I'm diabetic and I have a heart condition. And I'm also very philanthropic. I usually buy four tables at the Lupus Gala. Mm -hmm. Am I ever walking back into a room again with 500 people? Right. Maybe my grandson's wedding. Maybe my granddaughter's bat mitzvah. Okay. Maybe. Think about that. Yes, everybody's vaccinated. Sort of. Is that guy ever that woman ever walking back in a room with a lot of people again? I don't know that answer. But... If I'm lupus and that guy bought four tables and he put some of his friends in it and some of his kids in it, I want that guy to be able to watch the program at home. I want him to participate. I want to be able to say thank you, Joanne, to everybody in the audience. That's the hybrid part. That's the hybrid part. And what does that mean? Maybe I'm shipping him some swag that's being handed out at the party. Maybe we're setting up dinner for him in his house. I'll go back to my roots. Warner Leroy, who I grew up with learning from at Tavern on the Green, he grew up in Hollywood. He was Hollywood royalty. His father was... Produced The Wizard of Oz, correct? Reverend right. Leroy. Right. He's named Warner because Jack Warner, as Warner Brothers, was his uncle. Oh, no kidding. I did not know that. Toto was his pet dog. <laughs> so they go deep. Deep Hollywood. Deep Hollywood. Right. Hollywood royalty. Right. And, and this guy owned Tavern on the Green. He owned Tavern on the Green. Right. I learned one take. There's no two takes. The event itself, there's no second takes. You don't get to reshoot the scene. Right. That curtain's up. It's live. I'm a little concerned and on high alert that people are going to be a little rusty. I've thought about that. I'll give you an example. The Ziegfeld Ballroom. Tell me about these places, because you're talking about Hollywood royalty. Now you're talking about Broadway royalty. We're talking about Florenz Ziegfeld from the Ziegfeld Follies. Yeah, exactly. Ziegfeld Follies. Actually, Florence Ziegfeld, the right word for him is empresario. Yes. That's what he was. Right. And Warner Leroy was very similar. Yes. An empresario. Mm -hmm. Florence Ziegfeld would not be able to exist in today's world easily. He was a womanizer. <laughs> yeah. He had a private phone number for private interviews of the Ziegfeld Folly girls. <laughs> Invented the term casting couch. Exactly. He had a coding system of A, B, and C based on body shape. No. Yeah. You know, it's like these people you meet in your life, like mm -hmm. meeting Muhammad Ali, having him do a magic trick for me. You know, those types of things are like, oh. you know, sitting down, having dinner with Willie Mays at a table of four. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And he did something that I will never, ever, ever forget. And I hope I can say it without getting emotional. Yeah. Uh, literally, my grandfather, who grew up as a Brooklyn Dodger fan, mm -hmm. you didn't have cell phones in those days, but you did have a phone that had a portable receiver. You know, you could take it into the dining room if you needed Yeah. And I said, can you do me a favor? I said, my grandfather won't believe I'm sitting at a table with Willie Mays. Oh, no. Do you mind if I call my grandfather? And my grandfather was probably, you know, early 80s then. And he was a Brooklyn Dodger fan, but everybody was a Willie Mays fan. Thank you. I called up and he got on the 
phone and said, hey, Saul. He goes, yeah, who's this? He goes, it's Willie Mays. He goes, no, come on. And they had this 20-minute conversation oh. about baseball. And Alan, what, what a gift for you to give oh, to your Great, grandma. great. And here I had this whole conversation with my grandfather, and they were living in Hawaiian Gardens in Lauderdale Lakes, Florida, you know, <laughs> you know the retirement community in Fort Lauderdale. And my grandmother said that my grandfather smiled for like a month after that. Like oh. he couldn't get the smile off his face. He couldn't wait to tell every single person, the entire community, all his friends sitting out there playing Pinochle or whatever the heck they were doing. <laughs> whatever old Jews do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Grandma was playing Mahjong and he was playing Pinochle. Exactly. Oh, that's and, beautiful. That's really beautiful. Yeah, great. Great. Is this business glamorous? No, it's not. It's a lot of hard work. Right. For those people that listen to this and go, oh, this sounds fabulous. I want to go with this. Let me tell you what's not fabulous. <laughs> what's not fabulous is going to your kid's soccer match in a tuxedo to be there for 15 minutes mm-hmm. to try to be some type of dad because you have to go to work. Right. Because this world that we live in, in the event world, we work when everybody else plays. Alan, that's perfect. And that your significant other, I'm being politically correct with significant other, because these days, men, women, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Yeah, listen, we were talking about Mayor Pete before, you know. Right, exactly. So your significant other needs to be saying, you know something? Going to dinner and a movies on a Monday ain't so bad. It's not so crowded. Or going to see the show on a Saturday night that your kid's in because you're working. Right. Although this sounds glamorous, and I escorted Sir Lawrence Olivier an entire evening once. I mean, these things are fabulous memories, but there's a lot of sacrifices. Oh, yeah. A lot of sacrifices. You said it so incredibly well. Do I love it? Wouldn't trade it for the world. I mean, I love that craziness. I love the adrenaline rush. I like everything about it. And what I try to explain to young people that are going into this event world, look, there are things you to do in the event world. You can be an accounting for in a hotel firm and you work Monday to Friday, eight to six. So you can be in the event world and hospitality world and have a relatively normal life. And today's kids are smarter than we were and they're demanding some quality of life. We weren't smart enough to demand quality of life. Yeah. I do respect that people that say, I really don't want to work every Saturday night, 50 weeks a year. I need one off a month. That's not an unreasonable request. No, it's not. Now, we wouldn't think of that. <laughs> right. We wouldn't think of that. I wouldn't even, oh my God, to approach my boss with the thought that I need off a weekend was like terrifying. It was like I was, oh, I was yeah. asking for their first board. I was brutal to say, I need the weekend off. My sister's getting married. I was like terrified then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that they're smarter. And I think a quality of life, there has to be a life balance today. There has to be. Corporate parties and what we were talking about before just so that everybody knows, the galas, they could easily be on a Tuesday. They're usually on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday night. But we typically, our business model is Monday to Thursday Mm -hmm. is typically a nonprofit or corporate event. Right. 50% of them are nonprofit. The other is something else, product launch, Mm -hmm. something, whatever. It could be part of fashion week. Fashion things, exactly. Mostly Monday to Thursday is nonprofit and and corporate. Friday is a mix of everything. Some nonprofit, some social, 
Non-Jewish weddings. Non-Jewish weddings, exactly. More kosher weddings on Sundays than mm-hmm. Saturdays because of sundown and Shabbos. And then Sunday, a setup day. We do a lot of Sunday Mondays where they need rehearsal time. The theater industry does everything on Monday nights. All the nonprofit galas associated with theater are Mondays, and sometimes they want Sunday as a setup and rehearsal day. So we do right. a lot of Sunday Mondays that way. Yeah, I know a lot of people that are Broadway people literally just will have their party on a Monday afternoon. Absolutely. Because they happen to be dark on a Monday night. Everybody's off. You know they're available. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody thinks in terms of parties being the weekend. That's why I just want to make it clear that most of what you do and some of what I do is a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Right. Then you get into the social circuit. Forget it. You know, the costume galas. To me, the ultimate being the Met Gala. And by definition, yeah. you could never do that because it's called the Met Gala because it's at the Metropolitan exactly. Museum of Art. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, someone's dressing you. There's a designer that wants dress Doug Winters and want to put you in a tuxedo right. or a dress or whatever is appropriate. And f- five tux makers will send me tuxes, you know? Yes, exactly. Who knows? $10,000 tuxedo for sure. Absolutely. Bill Spinner taught me, literally taught me the word bespoke. I had never heard of the word before because he said, we work for the wealthiest people in the world. I have to dress the part. I love Bill. Not only is he great at what he does, he's also a terrific human being. And I think he sleeps in suspenders. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think his pajamas have suspenders on him. But, right. you know, he's a natty dresser. You know, that's sort of the term. Always press. He's a great dresser. He has a, a press shirt, a beautiful tie, a beautiful suit. Like almost of a different time. Right. Coordinated suspenders. I, I once saw a picture of him in shorts and I'm like, I nearly fainted because I'm like, <laughs> I didn't even think he owned them. So it is a different time and his clientele is different. It's yeah. very formal. You know, you walk into the Pierre and it's from talking like this, talking like this. Mm-hmm. You sort of feel like you have to whisper. You have to lower your tone when you right. walk into the Pierre because right. it's genteel. Yeah. Like you walk into a palace. <laughs> And he dresses the part beautifully. And he learned that from Herb Rose. Another absolute legend of the business. Maybe the legend of the business. The legend of the business. Yeah. Herb Rose. Could you define Herb Rose to people? Because we talked about Werner Leroy and Flo Ziegfeld. People can look them up in books. Yeah. You're not going to be able to look up Herb Rose in a book. Herb Rose created our industry. I mean, there were other people. There was Larry Harvey at the plaza also. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't Herb by himself. But Herb Rose was the first person to really put a number on things that was so astronomical. You're talking about in the 70s, tell you $300 a person. When everybody was 150 of fancy places were 100 fancy places everybody was 150 bucks a person 175 200 oh my god and he would say 300 he would say 300 a person and look you in the eye and tell you that with a straight face and tell you it was going to be the greatest event you ever had and you needed to do it here he was the consummate salesperson he created this brand. He was at the Pierre and then he was at Cipriani. He created that high end, high level that no one had ever done before. He was absolutely the leader of the pack on that. The leader of the pack on that. And a great salesperson, just really an iconic figure in the events world in New York. 
really, if someone said to me, name the top five leaders of our industry, top five, he might be in the top three, might be the top one. And guess what we did? Followed right on his coattail. We were like, holy cow, he's getting that? Yeah. Let's raise our prices. Walter Rausch was running Tavern on the Green then. He was director of catering. And he was my first out-of-college boss working under Warner Leroy. And Walter had a relationship with her because he had been the plaza and the Pierre. And he's like, raise our prices. Raise them. We're going higher. We're pushing that envelope. And we did. It was in the heyday, too, those early 80s. Drew Nipront had just left Tavern on the Green as a restaurant director to go open in Montrachet or Tribeca Grill. Drew Nipront, Nobu, Myriad Restaurant Group, was a restaurant director at Tavern on the Green. Warren Leroy had hired him. Wow, I had no idea. Okay, and he took the bar out of Maxwell's Plum and put it into Tribeca Grill. So it was Montrachet, I think, was the first one that he opened up. So this is New York royalty. It's not just banquet royalty. Exactly. Jean-Georges was the chef at the Drake Swiss Hotel, and Tony Fortuna was the maitre d' there. And Tony got hired by Warner Leroy to be the restaurant director at Tavern on the Green because he loved the Drake Swiss Hotel. I never even heard of the Drake Swiss Hotel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now Tony then went from there. He became the food and beverage director at the Plaza. Now he owns and operates T-Bar, which is a restaurant on the Upper East Side and out east in the Hamptons. And Drew, obviously, with Nobu, partners with De Niro. And, but this was... This was a heyday. I mean, this was New York City heyday, the 80s. My whole career has never been about self-promotion for me. It's not about Alan Kurtz. It's never been about Alan Kurtz. It will never be about Alan Kurtz. It's about who I'm representing. And Facebook is personal. We have a Gotham Hall Facebook account. We have a Ziegfeld Ballroom Facebook account. That's Mm -hmm. completely different. That's different, yeah. That's different, but it's not about me. It used to be about Tavern on the Green, and I bled green. How long were you there? 15 years or something? I was there from 83 to 89, and then 96 to 2003. So I was there 13 years combined. Wow. I mean, I did when Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet's son died. And they had the memorial service at Tavern on the Green. And we did it in the only room without windows because they were afraid of press. You're talking about Frank Sinatra, Sammy Davis Jr. All these people coming in to express their condolences. I had Stevie Wonder perform at a wedding. You know, the ceremony. I'm not talking like music for the band. I'm talking about performing the wedding ceremony as they're walking down the aisle. Yeah, so... Was it a friend of his or a relative? It was a president of a music label, but it was never about me. It was only about there. And for me, it's been about Gotham Hall and nothing else but Gotham Hall since 2003 and Ziegfeld Ballroom since 2017. I'd like to expand that portfolio. So you literally started Gotham Hall. It was open before I got there. Was it a, a venue, like a party venue? Well, it, was a, it was a bank that had closed and then became a venue. You could probably count on two hands how many events they had done. Oh, so you were brought in as the white knight. Yeah, I was brought in to... Just to run it properly. To run, to run it, it properly. properly. It's been profitable ever since. And, and I'm talking financial crisis, still made money. 2008, we better end this, Doug, because otherwise we're going to end up talking for another hour. I know. <laughs> 
Alan, thank you so much for this. This is amazing. What do you What do you cut your podcast down to? How long? I don't know. Anywhere between a half hour and an hour. This might be a two episode thing. I swear to God, this was fantastic. (laughs) Alan, thank you so much. I will talk to you later. Okay, you too. Bye bye. Well, there you go. Uh, I I just loved every second of that. That was like a history lesson. What he was referring to when he said it would take us an extra hour. We actually talked for almost three hours, which is why it took me a couple of extra days to edit it. But I hope you got as much out of that as I did. And if you want to do some homework, the names that we were referring to were Flo Zigfield and Warner Leroy, whose father produced the Wizard of Oz. And when he said Warner Leroy was named after Jack Warner, that Jack Warner was the president of Warner Brothers. But what struck me was his passion for our events industry and just how knowledgeable about it he is and how much he's doing to try and help all of us. That one's worth listening to twice and taking notes. If you want to reach out to him, you can find him on Instagram at Ziegfeld Ballroom, Z-I-E-G-F-E-L-D and Gotham Hall, New York. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Doug Winters, Inc. and my website at DougWintersMusic.com. I want to encourage everyone to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't, or get your friends to subscribe so we can really keep this rocking. It's at Wedding Wisdom Podcast with Doug Winters on Spotify and Apple and just about anywhere else you're going to find podcasts. Until next week, stay safe, stay strong, keep wearing masks, maybe even double masks. There is most definitely a light at the end of this tunnel, and we will get through it together. As always, thanks so much for listening, and have a great week. Bye-bye now.